recently, as I've been looking back over the past year or two years and pondering the massive devastation caused ultimately by freedom haters, I had to ask myself, how are we ever going to recover from this mess? It's so much easier, you know, to be a historian rather than a prognosticator, but prognosticate, we must. You're listening to Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip, your host. Dear friends, we are living in a time when we must put on our forward-looking spectacles and really ask ourselves, where are we headed? We have to try and actually predict where we are going as individuals and as a society as a whole. And if we don't like the direction we're headed, then we sure as, as all get out better be ready to change it. We need to change the direction by stepping up, by taking appropriate steps to, ta- to change our course. And that is no easy task, let's face it, especially when so many of us now have actually become wounded warriors because of all the assaults on our freedoms, our livelihood, and our basic human rights. And you know, that affects people at all levels, from the highest of positions to the lowest. We have all been seriously targeted and millions of us affected in a very adverse way. And I think it is time to really uh, just think intently about where we are going, about the possibilities of what is going to be happening to us, befalling us very soon if we don't change the course we are on. Well, today I have joining me as a guest, a first generation American. Her name is Dr. Rainey Moon. Although she was born in America, her parents legally, get it, legally immigrated here after escaping the horrors of communism behind the Iron Curtain. Dr. Moon is a board-certified physician and a clinical associate professor of medicine who has been in in both clinical and hospital practice for over 20 years. She also has been very active in academics, having taught medical students, interns, residents throughout the years of her practice. Well, Dr. Moon, I thank you so much for coming on today with the show, and I welcome you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It is my pleasure. Now, for the younger listeners who perhaps weren't taught this in history classes, let me just clarify that the Iron Curtain was actually a term coined by Sir Winston Churchill, describing a great divide between a politically free world in Western Europe and a land in Eastern Europe that was very oppressed by communist Soviet rule. So Western Europe formed an economic and international alliance by the formation of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, and the Eastern side was similarly united under the Warsaw Pact. The Iron Curtain fell at the end of the Cold War, and uh, that happened when one-party rule of the Soviet Union officially ended. It was a time of great celebration for the Western world and the free world. So now, uh, Dr. Moon, with your experience and your family history, 
The fact is most kids really don't always listen closely to their stories that their parents relate to them about their past as they're growing up. But can you share with us maybe some really important lessons that uh, you did learn uh, that your parents maybe passed on to you and then explain what impact it has on your own life? Yeah, thank you for asking. So I, I listened very carefully as a child. And I, th- I think because it was so traumatic for my entire family, I was about 11 years old when my mom took us back across the Iron Curtain so we could visit my grandparents and my extended family. And I, I look at it now as an adult and I think, wow, she was so brave. She had defected from this uh, country in which she was basically held a prisoner. And then with her American status and her passport, took her kids back so we could see our, our relatives. So I remember crossing the Iron Curtain when I was 11 on a train to go visit my grandma and my grandfather. And that's, that's a pretty unique perspective, I think, especially for a child. So I remember the train pulling in to the, um, to the area where the Iron Curtain was. And, and for those of you that um, obviously may not know exactly what that was, it was a series of, of fencing with watchtowers, with guards, with um, dogs, and with submachine guns. And I remember the train just squealing in to that area as it stopped on the border and looking out at basically the wall of the prison that was that was holding my family captive. I don't think you forget that. So I, I also remember my grandmother in her apartment in Prague listening to the Voice of America. And at the time, the Voice of America was piping in the real news to the citizens of, of Prague and to the to Czechoslovakia because they didn't have real news. They had propaganda from their government. And I remember my grandmother, really, the walls were very thin on the apartment. And if her neighbors heard her listening to the voice of America, she could be in significant trouble. So I remember her telling me, shh, quiet. Let me, we have to stay quiet. And the radio was down very low as we sat and listened. And I was so proud because it was my country, my America that was piping in the real news to to my relatives who were who are basically living in a prison. Wow. That it really shows us how far we have come. I mean, you're talking about the ultimate in censorship uh, at the risk of your life if you say the wrong things or even listen to the wrong things. And that's astounding, Dr. Rainey, because uh, right now in America, I mean, isn't that the direction we are really going? Yeah, I think that's what that's what terrifies us all is is those of us that see what's happening. You know, this this level of censorship is something that we've never experienced, not in not in my lifetime, not in your lifetime. You know, to be told that you can't say something, you can't share the thoughts that you're having, um, to have people you know banned on social media for simply voicing a different opinion than the party that's in control. It's a terrifying time. And when I think back to what I saw with my grandmother in her apartment, it, it scares me. We're going in a terrible direction where we don't have freedom of speech any longer. We are. And that uh, definitely has uh, impact, I think, that is still 
really hard to understand for most American people because we have been raised, aside from the last couple of years, I mean, we've been raised with an awful lot of freedom. There certainly has been a, an erosion of that freedom in the past couple of decades and perhaps longer. But for most people, the American dream was still a reality. Now, you know, I have to tell you, uh, Dr. Rainey, that I becoming a physician was kind of an unlikely thing for me because my dad only made it to the seventh grade and uh, had to support his family because his father had left him uh, the family in the Great Depression. And my mother only made it through high school. She was worked as a, a secretary, a clerk. And so my chances of success with, um, statistically were not good. And I would suspect that you would even have more of a story to tell on that because you obviously have done very well and you seem to have realized the American dream. Now, what is it do you attribute to your success, Dr. Rainey? I think clearly my parents and my family, you know, my, my parents came here literally with <clears throat> a couple, sorry, <clears throat> my throat, um, with a couple of dollars in their pocket and no, um, no family here, no support here. And they worked their way up, um, both earning their PhDs ultimately. So this is the American dream. This is the classic American dream. I was taught that when you work hard, you will achieve much in life. And I took that to heart. So I had a lot of family support from my immediate family here. My grandfather, who uh, was in Prague, was a relatively well-known author in Prague. And when the communists came in, they actually took um, his books off the market. He lost his voice completely because he spoke about traveling and he, he wrote about uh, freedom. And that was not something that was encouraged by the communist regime. So, so I knew the importance of working hard. I knew the importance of becoming the best that you can become. I do want to add before I forget that in those days, immigrants to, to the United States were very much vetted. So my parents, when they first left their, their home country, uh, had to apply for citizenship and they applied to Canada, they applied to the United States, they applied to Australia, and they had to show that they wouldn't be a burden on society, that they would contribute, that they would embrace all of that America has to offer and that they would make their lives something that were, you know, that were, was worthy of, of being an American. They would, they would be part of our, our country. And they, they very much took that to heart. My parents are, they, they, my dad has since passed. My mom, um, is still alive, but uh, they both have very thick accents because you don't lose your accent, but they were, they were Americans to the core. This, this is the country that gave them the ability to, to become all that they wanted to become. Wow. What a, what a stark contrast to what we see now with the people crossing our borders. Let me ask you this, Dr. Rennie, do you, do you think that the vetting process back then, uh, was that a legitimate thing to do? I mean, was that fair and appropriate? I, I grew up thinking it was, I think, you know, they weren't looking for people who, I, I guess I don't know for sure, but they weren't looking for people who, you know, were going, going to come here and cause trouble. They were looking for people that were coming here to become Americans. They were looking for that melting pot, that variety of, of languages and, and people, but they wanted people who, who would come here and, and embrace this culture and become a part of it and not come here to harm us. And I think that oh. was that was the main reason that I, I see for, for why they were vetted. 
Um, right. Right. And it makes sense. And my goodness, look at what your parents did. I mean, they're living proof uh, of the reality of the American dream. But the question today, right now, is, is the American dream still available to legal immigrants? I mean, look at what they are facing now. And then, you know, there's another correlate question to that. Or, or is the American dream more available now to illegal immigrants, people who are uh, coming in as criminals into our country and, um, you know, usurping all the authority that we have as Americans, they are getting the favored treatment. What is happening uh, to the American dream? Yeah, I I think none of us are against immigration. I, I think we're all for immigration, but it has to be legal and it has to follow our rules. You know, if people stream across our border for whatever reason, and they've come here illegally, then they already are showing us that they don't, they don't intend to follow our rules. They don't intend to assimilate into society and be productive citizens necessarily because they've already broken our laws to come here. And we have to have a border. We have to have security without a border. We, we don't have a country Um, right now. The estimate is that we have, you know, anywhere from I've heard as high as 12 million a year, illegal nationals pouring across our Southern border. We, We don't have a border. And unfortunately they're bringing with them, crime, they're bringing fentanyl, drugs, they're human trafficking, they're child trafficking. I'm not saying all the people streaming across our border illegally are doing that, but a, a large number are. Uh, the percentage, it's a, fact. Mm-hmm, it's a right. fact. It's just a fact. And the, the yes. percentage of seizures of fentanyl, for example, by law enforcement nationwide has, has grown by not even a hundred percent. It's been in the thousand of percentiles across the, across our country. So we're looking at every state in the union right now, not every state now is a border state, meaning that, that these drugs that are streaming across our border and the criminals that have come with them as well, they're in all of our 50 states at this point. And that directly affects us in a very, very negative way. Oh, it most certainly does. I mean, a lot of these people, a significant number are criminals. I mean, if you think about it, if our enemies are freely able to infiltrate our our country and bland and become embedded here, I mean, what power do they have? You talk about a Trojan horse. And um, I just got to ask you this question with regard to the open border, as you said, um, do you think this is uh, an accident? Is it just carelessness? Are they crazy? Or might this be actually intentional as a means of taking down our country? It's absolutely intentional. So my mom tells me, um, because she was in her 20s when she came to the United States and immigrated here, she, she says when she was in high school, she was taught, along with all the other students, they were taught how to take down a country like America. They were taught how to take down a free country. And they were taught many aspects of that. You know, it's that famous Khrushchev saying, <laughs> they're going to take us without firing a shot. But the, the points to what, to what she was taught were all along the lines of create chaos, cause destabilization of the country, um, upset the family, the family structure, the foundation, you know, disrupt that, cause as much harm as you can, cause, cause the whole country to feel like it's very unstable and uncertain and, and falling apart. And, and that was part of what she was taught for how to, how to bring down the United States. We're, we're seeing that now with this destabilization of our, of our border. 
um, you know, it's not even destabilized. It's just not there. <laughs> Increasingly, right. people right. are streaming across. It's, 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 it's absolutely a concerted effort to harm our country, our beloved country. And um, it's it, no it, what it. she was taught, you know, many, many decades ago. It, this is not anything new. They're not creating any sort of a new uh, way to take down a country like ours. This, is, this has been done before in history, and it's being done now. Yes. And you would think that people would see that. I mean, I, I, I am retired Air Force. I flew heavy aircraft around the world for a time, later flew fighters. But when I traveled a, a, abroad to all these other countries that were socialist uh, in their organization, I saw very clearly that whenever there was a, a coup that was being attempted against a quasi-free republic, there were three ingredients, and that was fear and confusion and violence or the threat of violence. And, and as you said, that causes a, a disturbance of the peace, a breakdown of law and order, and then you have the people. And this is exactly the ingredients we see being played out uh, and caused by our own American government at this time. And that should be very concerning to a lot of people. Yes, yeah, sadly, that's, that's very true. And, and then the goal after that destabilization occurs is to then bring in the new regime, which promises, you know, peace and harmony. If you do this, if you do that, if you, if you right. do what we tell you. and Dangling and then, the carrot so mm -hmm. they can control us. And then we've lost the freedom. And, and that's exactly what happened. My relatives saw it happen. My own parents saw it happen. They've warned me about it my entire life. It's, it's unbelievable to watch it happening right here in our, in our beautiful nation, but it is happening. I, I tend not to use the word socialism at all. This is not socialism. This is full on. And then whether you want to call it communism, fascism, globalism, it's, it's all of the above. It's all the same thing. It's from That's that right. perspective, it's all the same thing. It's it, socialism gives it too soft a um, a word, I think, and it makes people think, oh, well, that's not so bad. That's that's okay. It, it's not okay. It's it's terribly bad, and we are our, our nation is is in a terrible state right now. Definitely so. Now, since you've been involved in teaching medical students for the past twenty years or so, uh, would you say that medical students? through over time, have they changed their views on medicine? I have taught for over 20 years. I've taught medical students. I've taught interns and residents. And, you know, by and large, they're, they're good people, nice people who, who go into medicine for reasons that um, are altruistic. And, and, and honestly, I, I like them. They're good people. But over the last few years, I have very much noticed a trend towards, and I'm going to call it the CRT trend, the critical race theory training that they've had in high school. I, I've seen a trend towards the, the inability to tolerate differing opinions. And it, it gets very complicated very quickly. But I think what I'm trying to say is that I, I feel like the students have increasingly been indoctrinated in a certain narrative and they expect to hear certain words and they expect to hear that narrative. And if they don't hear that, they are easily offended and they're upset and they shut down. They shut down all conversation that has to yes. do with, with other opinions. 
And they don't even want to hear differing perspectives. And that has me really concerned when I, when I attended medical school, we talked about a lot of different things. I didn't agree with all of my professors, certainly, um, but we didn't shut down that freedom of speech. And how do you know for sure what your values and your viewpoints are if you're not willing to entertain other values and viewpoints and really digest those and think about them and, and figure out where you, where you are on an issue, where you stand on an issue? Um, and Very I'm seeing a, a growing intolerance to being able to handle discussions like that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, tell me if you think I'm off base here, but it seems to me, as you mentioned, the indoctrination early on with the CRT and all the current trends in schools. But I, it, it appears to me that even uh, medical schools are now vetting, if you will, the right kind of students who are going to be subservient, who seem to be. Uh, able to be team players, but the wrong team. And um, what I see is that uh, the new breed or the new brand of doctors are actually people who are being taught how to fit into a a form of uh, socialistic medicine. And socialized medicine, we know, uh, for the most part, is detrimental. It's not founded upon doing what is best for the patient and putting the patient first. What do you think? Yeah, when I when I trained, uh, critical thinking was encouraged. We were asked, we were encouraged to question. If we didn't question, <laughs> we probably weren't a very good fit for our school. Honestly, we were we were supposed to question. We're supposed to be the best advocate we can be for our patient and for nobody else. Otherwise, there's a huge conflict of interest in the room. You know, if your government is sitting in the exam room with you and the patient. If big pharma is sitting in the exam room with you and your patient, if any of those entities, if, if, if the major regulatory agencies are sitting in the exam room with your patient, then you do not have the ability to give your patient your 100% attention and care and act only on their behalf and in their best interests. And what I'm seeing is, is students increasingly, and again, these are, these are nice people. I'm not trying to come after them in a in a negative light, but these are trends that I've seen. I've seen an increasing intolerance to critical thinking, to the ability to critically think, and they don't even want to critically think anymore. So, you know, we're seeing these protocols come through from various agencies and, and, you know, protocols have some role, but they don't have a role if you completely limit and silence and censor the physician's ability to steer that care plan. So the analogy I would give, and I'm not a pilot, so forgive me if I say it in a way that's weird, but you know, it's sort of like having a pilot at the controls of a plane and it can be on autopilot for a bit, but if something is going wrong, that pilot needs to take control of the aircraft. Sometimes things are not going the way that you expect with a patient in their hospitalization or their care, and you need to deviate from some generally accepted standard of care and do something that your experience level and your training tells you makes sense. Um, When you weigh the risks and benefits for that patient, you need to take the controls. And I'm increasingly seeing students reluctant to question, reluctant to take the controls and increasingly listening to what they're being told to do. 
Yeah, I think that's an absolutely great analogy, by the way. Uh, having been a pilot, I, you know, I flew heavies, fighters, and uh, private aircraft. Yeah. And the bottom line is, you, you're absolutely right. Things don't always go as planned. And frankly, a trained monkey can be taught a protocol, but the deviations must occur, they will occur. I mean, th things are going to go wrong in the plane, for example. And if you have not even had any training in emergency procedures, that plane is likely going to crash. And God forbid, if there's hundreds of passengers on board, you know, we're in trouble. And I agree with you. That is exactly the medicine I see taking place in America right now. In fact, I confronted uh, regarding the vaccines, the masking and all this, I confronted a few doctors, brand new doctors. Uh, I think one still in residency two just graduated at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix. And uh, it was exactly as you said, Dr. Rainey, that they could not function or even think out of their box. If they were challenged with even, uh, the, you know, challenged to look at the best uh, studies that were performed to, for example, uh, reveal how effective a mask is as a viral barrier, um, they were shut down. And if I said anything averse about Anthony Fauci, oh my goodness, you, you would think I had offended their God. And that's exactly how they reacted. And that, that just scared the daylights out of me. It's like, what has happened to medicine? How has this personally affected you in your practice? Yeah, it's, it's been very challenging because, you know, we are in positions of, um, as faculty and uh, as physicians who train these students, we are in positions where we are, you know, are doing our best to teach them, but it is difficult when you are met with this hands up resistance, pushing you back and not even allowing a discussion about something. And um it's become very hard and very challenging in medicine. And it is frankly a relatively terrifying time to watch what's playing out because I don't see this going in a good direction. I think that's, that's a safe way to say that um, they're, they're just not open to this. So faculty have feedback that comes back to them from their students uh, that feedback is, you know, then sent to administrators who then very much have the uh, ability to fire you or do something to you, remove you from teaching. If you have offended the students, we're, we're seeing nationwide uh, across college campuses and across graduate school campuses, um, students literally coming after their professors, some of them in very, um, very harsh and, and difficult ways. Uh, there was an incident on the, uh, I think it was on the Yale campus a few years back where the students were literally screaming at a professor in the courtyard. Uh, you can look that up on YouTube. It was, I think in 2017 because they didn't agree with an email that had been sent by their professor's wife, who was also a professor regarding uh, whether they should restrict Halloween costumes that were uh, going to be used during Halloween. I mean, just really sort of um, really outrageous scenarios where then the administration has not supported the professors. Uh, so it's it's a it's a very difficult time, I think, in in terms of academic freedom of speech. I think that it's very difficult to teach our students accurately about things like conflict of interest, 
um, about things like informed consent, informed patient consent, when you're not allowed to discuss with those students uh, some of the major aspects, some of the major things that are happening currently in society. Uh, so we, we end up um, kind of dancing around that elephant that's in the room and not getting to the, to the meat of the, the discussion that we should be having because of concern for retaliation from the students and from administrators. Right. And let's just call it what it is. I mean, let's face it, all uh, instruction in, 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 among medical students and interns and residents, this takes place in hospitals and hospitals are owned and run by CEOs and they themselves are owned by big pharma and by you know the the powerful elites that dictate what the party line is going to be. Now, personally, I would never be able to survive in that situation nowadays in medicine because if you don't have the freedom to really teach, you are handicapped. And if you are handicapped and you cannot teach what needs to be taught, then every other medical student or graduate of a residency program is going to be severely handicapped. And that is really worrisome. It bothers me to no end because um, when you take away free speech and particularly in the field of medicine and medical research, we are all hurting ourselves in a very, very big way. Well, I'm going to just take a short break and we will be back to discuss where we are and where we should be as we trudge forward in this really new dark age, not just of medicine, but of politics, uh, of everything affecting America as we once knew it. Don't go away. I'll be right back. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on the precautions, but deep down, you still want to avoid getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray. Made in the USA, Cofix RX reduces viral loads and minimizes the risk of you getting sick. Find a retailer near you or click our banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Along with a healthy immune system, clean air is vital for optimal health. According to the EPA, we spend 90% of our time indoors, where germs are most concentrated. It's essential to clean indoor air. Genesis is the only technology that quickly, safely, and effectively kills pathogens both in the air and on surfaces in seconds, reducing the viral load in any environment. The powerful, well-built Genesis Fogger produces a dry, ultra-fine mist using HOCL, which occurs naturally in our own immune systems. We'll be living with airborne diseases in the future. New viruses and antibiotic-resistant superbugs are no problem for Genesis. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. Let the silent voices be heard. It was the rallying call that started it all. It's a wide spectrum of programming, from world and political news to societal and cultural stories, six amazing years of news blogs, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. 
Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip and my very special guest, Dr. Rainey Moon. She is a physician and a first-generation American whose parents suffered under the reality of hard life in a communist world. Now, this show airs on Saturday and Sunday at 12 and 5 Eastern Time and then goes to podcast. I also write weekly articles of very significant topics pertinent to uh, things that will sustain America as a free republic. And remember, we are no longer a free republic. We have been taken down with the usurping of the highest office in America. The election was stolen by the presidency, and that has affected us all. A lot of American history actually has been written over the last two years, and it has been a history of much death and destruction. As you have heard from Dr. Moon already, just about everyone has been affected in some way by the globalist communist takeover of America under an illegal Democrat regime, and we must call it what it is. We have already gotten a good dose of what life is like when freedom is being taken from us. I personally don't see how anyone can like it, and that includes the Democrats themselves. In fact, many of them are now switching their political affiliations and just flatly saying, I have had enough, and I think that's a very good thing. The harvest uh, is ripe for change, and the change must be back toward freedom. But unfortunately, still, the silent majority has been all too eager to maintain their silence. And nobody likes having to place their head on a chopping block. But if nobody speaks up, then we cannot expect anything to change for the better. And I guarantee you, if we don't fight back, the wealthy elitists who now own the majority of both the Democrat and Republican parties are going to have their way. The Iron Curtain can rise again, but really, will there be any need for an Iron Curtain? Because if the globalists have their way, the entire world will be under one rule, one economy, one pitiful slavery system. And we must be extremely tuned in to how they are going to affect us and our children. And we need to learn how to protect our children and ourselves. The topic that we've been discussing primarily is medical education. And that's a very important thing because 
Only the educated are free in a very real sense of the word. So, Dr. Rainey uh, Moon, I would like to get back to you and ask you perhaps, um, where do you think we should be going? As, as a freedom-loving, true American citizen who has accomplished some great things, where and how do we begin to fight this evil as medical censorship is destroying us? Yeah, I'd like to, for a minute, focus for a little longer on medical education. So, um, we are being censored very much as, as we educate these medical students and residents, and we're being censored by some of the things I, I spoke to earlier, by really the intolerance to hearing differing perspectives. Um, I do want to say that uh, I don't speak for any, uh, the examples I may give, I don't associate with any institution that where I may have worked. Um, I'm going to be clear that I've worked in a number of different places, so I'm not, I'm not stating the name of any institutions, but I personally have been uh, censored. I'm going to give an example of that, but I'm, I want to start by saying that I stayed with teaching because I can see them purging people with differing perspectives from the system. So the tendency is, is that when they come after you for something, they being administrators, students, the tendency is for, for those of us that have differing perspectives to, to just leave, to resign, to leave. Uh, my mom warned me about that though. And she said, that's what she had seen. She saw that happen behind the iron curtain that the, just like they're doing with our military, the purging people who don't want, you know, the mandate, who don't accept the mandate and the vaccines, they're, they're getting rid of some viewpoints that they want to get rid of. That's, that's intentional. And so we can't allow that in the academic world. And so I've, I've stayed for that purpose. Um, I was censored. I had some students and um, other trainee level people who complained about my teaching. I want to be clear that I have taught for over 20 years and, you know, here and there, there's a student that doesn't like you or whatever, but my, my evaluations from students have always been solid and good in general. And uh, until the last few years, when these students who are much more intolerant have begun to arrive and some of the complaints against me were anonymous complaints. They had to do with my paraphrasing Martin Luther King in a discussion on racism because they hadn't once mentioned Martin Luther King. So I did. Uh, They had to do with uh, my having stated back in December of 2020 when the students asked me what I thought about the COVID-19 vaccine, I said, you know, seems like really slick technology. I hope it works, but I'm concerned because it hasn't had a a lot of testing. I'm concerned there could be some side effects from this vaccine. It was a very short conversation. It wasn't a lecture on the vaccine. It was just them asking me and me telling them, you know, what my concerns were critically thinking about what could happen um, as we were socializing. And that came back at me. They, they complained that I had caused them harm and trauma by telling them the vaccine might not be safe. And because of that and the complaint about paraphrasing Martin Luther King, I was, I was pulled from my teaching for a period of time and investigated. Um, it's a much lengthier story to tell, and I'm, I'm not going to tell it all here. I think that probably suffices, but, um, but how scary is that? We have a seasoned clinician 
a seasoned educator who's had no history of any issues with, with teaching that are significant over a 20 plus year career who has disappeared from a, from a, a teaching environment because of anonymous student complaints that have to do with their ability to feel safe. Um, which, which brings me to this um, idea that is increasingly appearing in colleges and graduate schools. And that is the idea that students must somehow feel safe when they're having a discussion. And, and, and by safe, they literally mean that only the topic that they, only the viewpoint with which they agree should be presented. And increasingly they mean that topics with which they don't agree are somehow causing them harm and, and um, are hurtful to them and they should be kept away from them. They should be kept safe. And so we're, we're fast traveling down a road that puts us into academic censorship and, and is frankly terrifying. And it's frankly communism. Let's just call it that because yes. you're right. If you cannot speak freely and my goodness, um, Think of how un-American that is, making a comment about Martin Luther King. Now, I've read just about every book there is on Martin Luther King. He's a hero. The guy's incredible. And uh, I'm not sure I could even come close to what he was in some ways, where he was promoting uh, totally nonviolence. And uh, I appreciated that very well, because it comes from a biblical perspective. Now, you try to say the words Jesus Christ outside uh, of a cuss word, and you're going to cause a lot of students to feel extremely uncomfortable and a lot of other people to feel uncomfortable. And I guarantee you'll make every American citizen uh, uncomfortable who supports the current leftist woke system that we are now facing that is destroying our country. So I, I totally agree with every point you have made. Yeah, I grew up uh, really, you know, idolizing Martin Luther King. I think he was, he was amazing. And um, very much that, that idea, those ideas that Martin Luther King um, supported are, are starting to, to fall into the cancel culture realm. The, the students don't want to hear it. I, I thought I was, would be very wrong if I was moderating a discussion on racism and no one mentioned Martin Luther King, but he, the, the, his ideas had not been brought up at all because, you know, his ideas are being altered and changed by the, by the radical left. And we're seeing that happen in front of our eyes as we look at how he's presented on television and, and in different shows now. They're, they're trying to twist the narrative that he had. Absolutely. Um, and I don't it, think it, there's anybody else who, who has accomplished anything close to what Martin Luther King has done to squelch racism, to, to make fairness uh, among all people, you know, based on skin color. I mean, Martin Luther King is our hero. So, yeah, I've always loved the ideas of Martin Luther King, and, but not to, not to focus even on that. The, the very idea that our students are intolerant increasingly intolerant to differing perspectives. That's, that's the thing that should scare us all because they really are increasingly unable to tolerate discussions that vary from what they want to have the narrative be. And, and that's, that's not anything that we can um, work with in terms of, of teaching. It makes it very difficult to teach in that, um, in that type of environment. 
Yeah. And I mean, let's face it, Americans' uh, children right now, they, they face an absolute incredible risk for harm uh, just based on indoctrination from social media and in Hollywood. I mean, yeah, okay, Martin Luther King, controversial, maybe I can I can get somebody maybe feeling that way. But let's face it, right now, we're even battling Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, you know, yeah. thanks to the perverted Disney leadership team. Right. How in the world do you counsel parents to protect their children from all this media influence that is twisting their minds? I mean, are parents able to even get the message? Can it be spoken to them? Yeah, they're after our children. They very much are. And so the the patients that I have seen in the last couple of years, especially, you know, during this pandemic, uh, come through my office, they're in they're in a terrible state. Um, mental health diagnoses have just skyrocketed. Now, to be clear, that was that was present even before the pandemic arrived. Uh, I think I blame social media and just this disintegration of our societal values and norms you know, our emergency rooms filling up with kids who are suicidal, cutting, anxious, depressed, just, it's been astronomical. Um, And then the pandemic hit and they were socially distanced. They were isolated. They were very much harmed by the policies that we put into place as we look at the numbers and look at what their risk was from this virus. Uh, You know, so increasingly parents are struggling to protect their kids from society, from all of us. We're, we're supposed to be a community that raises our kids to be beautiful, happy, productive citizens. And instead we are harming them greatly with, with everything that you mentioned with the, with the, um, with the corruption that is on uh, social media, with the uh, just improper and immoral kind of um, messaging that we see in movies and on television shows. It's, it's terrible what we're doing. It really is. And, you know, uh, right now, I mean, right now there is another tremendous assault taking place on our children uh, stemming from uh, the masking. I mean, they recently pulled us off, but not right recently. We have seen a new push for developing better masks for kids now to protect them from everything, from COVID, influenza, respiratory syncytial virus, and all future pandemics. Now, the mask atrocities began right after the COVID-19 pandemic was declared, of course, and we saw Flip-Flop Fauci, who suddenly just changed his mind and suddenly ignored all the real science and said that masking was perhaps a good idea, and maybe two masks are better than one, three are better than two, and so forth. Now, we know that kids don't die from COVID, and we know that masks are totally ineffective viral barriers. So why do you think they're doing this? I mean, let's really expose it, because I see this as an intentional assault to destroy our youth. And if you can destroy a generation of young people, um, they have us. I agree. I'm 100% convinced that they are after our kids. They are grooming them with this masking for compliance with the regime, with the system. The kids I see coming through my office are scared to take their masks off, even though they have essentially a 0% chance of dying from this virus. They have been terrorized. I, a few months into this, well, really probably six to nine months into this pandemic and the masking and the isolation began to see kids that would come to my office that literally had not left their house 
since the pandemic started. They had been home, hiding in the basement, hiding at home, terrified when they came into the office. I said, you know, they're shaking, literally visibly shaking in front of me. And I, I said, I'm not scary. What's, what's going on? And they said, it's, it's not you. I just haven't left my house in like a year terrorized that the virus was going to get them in their backyard, you know, not understanding basic public health measures that, you know, not understanding that they don't catch this virus from the air in their backyard or from the, from anything. Our kids are being groomed to listen and to comply. And they're too scared. Many of them to even take the masks off. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, uh, you know, all of, of the, younger generation has developed a severe form of socialized anxiety disorder. And um, you can understand it when you identify the proponents of such a thing, such as Dr. Stephen Krug. He's an ER doctor and he's the chair of the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, Council on Children and Disasters. He is pushing for the, the KF94, the KN95 mask so that they better fit children. Um, this is what makes it so believable and dangerous that these people in higher places are uh, terrorizing our children and they're getting away with it. Would you agree? Yes, I, I do. Sadly, I, these are our colleagues and it makes it very difficult to watch, but how they're not looking at the data in a way that makes logical sense. They're pushing an agenda and the agenda is not in favor of the mental health and even the physical health of our children. You know, I pulled up, I remember the swine flu epidemic. Do you remember that? It was like in 2009 to 2010. Oh, yes. And, and that, that greatly affected, um, children. I was working in a hospital setting at the time and we went from an average of about one child a week with who had to have a chest tube put into their chest to drain uh, pus out, to drain the infection out when they had a bad pneumonia. And that's, we usually see like one child a, a week in the winter months during a typical year that would have to have a chest tube placed. And during the swine flu epidemic, um, we were seeing eight to 10 kids a week with chest tubes in place. It was a dramatic increase in really sick kids who were hospitalized. And I remember thinking, wow, the news media hasn't said really much about this at all. And thinking, wow, I wonder if people maybe should be more careful with their kids when they send them to school, but there was no masking. We didn't put them into bubbles. We didn't isolate them from one another and, and, and separate them from each other. We just got through it. And you look at the numbers of fatalities in, in the pediatric age range from swine flu during that year. And it actually exceeds the total number of fatalities from COVID-19 in the last two years, according to data from our government. Right. So, you know, we actually had more kids die during swine flu is what I'm saying than we have in two years of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now I'm not trying to discount any child's death that any death is, is a tragedy but we have to face reality, which is that every year we have kids that die. Every year we have adults that die from various things and it's a part of living. Of them. That's right. It's That's a part right. of living and you can't bubble wrap these kids and leave them in your, in their living room for the rest of their lives. Never have them drive in a car because there are fatalities from car wrecks. Never have right. them go out in a street because they could be hit by a car. You know, this, this idea of safetyism is what it's being called. This idea that we have to keep our kids so 
so overwatched and overprotected that that they're a hundred percent safe all the time is it's an impossibility when right when- and it's and it's really all about control. I mean, one thing that I really struggle with is that you know we who are, are really speaking the truth of the best science, we are very few compared to all of the medical doctors and the nurses who are actually now fully aware, they have to be aware of all the medical literature, of all the best studies, of of the truth uh, in the best evidence that's been collected, even on the COVID issue. But these people, these medical doctors and nurses, so many of them are actually participating in these crimes against humanity, and they are not shaken in their conscience. And it's it's beyond my comprehension. What what's your best advice for parents? What do you see? Uh, what advice would you offer them and anyone else who says, look, I don't like what's going on. I know it's not right. What must we do? What would you tell them? We must, we must not stay silent. We must use our voices and we have to speak out and we have to be loud. And it's, it's very difficult because the vast majority of us are kind, peaceful, you know, wonderful people who, who don't break laws and we don't cause a ruckus and we don't, we don't speak out against things. We have to change our mindset. I went to some of my local, um, uh, governing body, uh, agency meetings this last week and was horrified by the level of corruption that I saw from our city council, from our County commissioners. We have to get into the game sitting at home and being upset is necessary to understand what's happening, but you have to get up and you have to speak out and you have to find something to fight in this battle. We are in an epic battle of good versus evil, um, God versus Satan. That's, that's the battle that we're in. And by staying silent at home, you're not helping. So we all need to get in there. We need to replace our elected officials with people who are, um, who have the values that represent us. We need to make sure that our election systems are, are solid and sound and not corrupt. There are many places where you can get involved and, and we all need to find that courage to rise and, and be loud. And we can be loud and we can be angry in terms of a right, righteous type of anger. We, you know, we, we need to speak up. Definitely. You know, you're singing my song. I thoroughly agree with you. We need to speak up. We need to expose evil and we need to do something. And that doing uh, can vary greatly. But the bottom line is uh, freedom is not free. It comes at a price and we must be willing to pay for it. Otherwise, we will suffer in ways that we have never known yet in America. Uh, Dr. Rainey, you are insightful. You're full of wisdom. And I do thank you so much for joining me today and also for your willingness to share your insights and your stories uh, with us on what's really going down and what has become an unglued and ugly field of medicine. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, Thank you so much for having me and listening. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Well, the words you have just heard from yet another persecuted doctor who seeks to uphold her Hippocratic oath 
to her patients shows us just how difficult it will be for doctors to do what they actually have been trained to do, which is to care for patients. But the truth is the great majority of doctors still have either bought into the evil woke agenda, including the second Holocaust of a global genocide, or they remain silent, living in fear of CEOs and corrupted state medical boards that have been bought out by big pharma and billionaire elites. Now, these elites do aim to achieve population control. And population control is just a euphemistic term for annihilation of a large portion of the world's human beings. And they fully intend to dominate and control the entire world. So if you still feel that the persecution and tyranny have not yet affected you in any severe way, just wait a while. But if you're smart, and if you really have a good heart, and if you love your God and your country, you aren't going to just sit around and do nothing. As Dr. Rainey said, you're going to speak up. The message to all of us actually comes from God himself. Jesus said, follow me. And if we're doing that, we cannot possibly be silent as our world slides into moral decay. We have to speak up. Children need our protection. The traditional God-given family structure must be championed, and all forms of sexual perversion must be exposed and shunned. We need to stop complying with the enemies of our soul and muster up some courage. When we dare to speak out, others follow. And most people just need a righteous leader to follow righteousness. But we have way too many sheep without a loving shepherd. So as you go forward this week, I do encourage you, please live as you ought. I know it's uncomfortable speaking up. I know it's sometimes scary to take a stand for something, but your country needs you right now. Your family needs you, and so does that neighbor next door, whether they know it or not. So take some chances and live as if you're a free American, and don't be ashamed of your Christian faith. That faith gave us a free America. You've been listening to Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip and my guest, Dr. Rainey Moon. I hope you have a blessed week and please make it count. Adieu.